Good morning. I'm grateful to be here and honored to be a part of this congregation today. God has been mighty at work in many places here, and it's just great to see that uh, what God has put together here and continues on. Uh, I'll tell you, as far as uh, the, the worship, you guys really rock it here. You guys really do. I mean, it was like, you know, one thing I've noticed about the joy of being here is everything's in motion. People, the music, and the love of the Lord, it's just so wonderful to see, as so often uh, in some of our places, we don't get as, as clear on that as some days. So it's been great to be able to do that and to honor you today. So in our uh, meeting earlier, I made mention that when people understand the simplicity and the clarity of the message of life. It revolutionizes the way they view all of their aspects of their being. And, and in reality, if you were in Amman, Jordan today, you might think that Nassau is that most remote place in the world. It just depends on where you are. So everybody's home is just as much a mission field as it is in other parts of the world. And I've had the joy of, of teaching and ministering in various places and enjoying all of it to God's glory. And that's been sort of the blessing that I've had for many years uh, in the work that God has blessed me with. And so Shannon and I, have um, we met in 1966 when I was in high school senior. I, we got married when I was in the Navy in 1969. And so we've celebrated many ups and downs and a lot of other things. We have two grown children. Their dad's not so grown, but they are. Our son will be in a, just tomorrow will be 48, and our daughter is 44. We have three grandchildren, Hunter, who will be, who's 20, um, Camelia, who is 17, and Olivia, who is 15. And so we're blessed with that. And so our daughter and her husband live in Nebraska. Our son and his wife and three children live in Portland, Oregon. And so as for us, we live near Denver. Denver today may get three to four inches of snow. Tomorrow, possibly up to a foot of snow. It's rough being out of Colorado today. <laughs> I have a hard time explaining my ministry, especially when they see all the great people that I get to know and get to be with in all parts of the world. Uh, if you were in the on Sunday school hour, the Bible hour, I showed some of those uh, pictures of groups that I've taught there in the Middle East uh, for eight years now. Uh, I'll be leaving for there, and I'll get back in the States on the 11th of March, on the 15th. Should I take a flight to Frankfurt and then on to Amman? Well, I'll be teaching a doctoral course there for them come back and then I'll be going to Uganda at the end of July, June and the first part of July to teach. Uh, and then we'll be traveling other places as well. But I've taught in Singapore, Trinidad, Tobago, uh, Uganda, Myanmar, and Middle East and other places as well. How God, someone asked, how do you get called to this? I have no idea. No idea. God is quite a God of surprises in these different areas as well. I used to think that if, if you look back at my life, you would see where God dragged me through these things. It wasn't as if I planned it to be that way. But God is gracious in all of his ways. And uh, his wonders to behold, and the people to get to know. 
Uh, I, I enjoy being on Facebook because I have a lot of friends from all of these places. Some of, some of these, Facebook does translate. They'll translate they, my Arabic friends, my Chinese friends. They did, did used to uh, translate for, them, for the Burmese, but it doesn't do that anymore. So I have to just smile and say thank you, whatever they said. So It's nice to be with people who, are, who speak the King's English, of which I don't. So you have to excuse me as an American uh, that I probably don't do well with, it, with the language of which you treasure so much. So God is good to all of us. One of the things that came out as we were looking at this morning was the fact that as we begin to share with others and think about the remote part of the world, one of the things I like to help people understand is they have to be very certain of what they possess. Too often, if you asked people, I would ask you this morning, how were people saved in the Old Testament? I do interactive, so how were they saved in the Old Testament? Faith. Faith. Okay. You would not be surprised that many times when that is asked, someone will say, by keeping the Ten Commandments, by keeping the law, by observing all those things, by doing the sacrifices, by doing all that, then they received everlasting life. And that answer would be false. It has always been by grace through faith. Always. And it's always been through the person of Jesus Christ. Even though his name was not known, they knew a deliverer would come and give them everlasting life. So that has always been the same. But you'd be very surprised, or maybe not surprised, on how many people in our world today that would say they are believers in Jesus Christ and possess everlasting life somehow say that when nowadays that's how we get saved, those people didn't have a chance. And we hope they were because we have no evidence of it or no clear message as such. I'm here to help you realize that is not true at all. Next. Oh, I guess I have this, don't I? Sorry about that. Okay. The golden rule of interpretation. Whenever I come to God's word, I want us to always remember this. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. In other words, God did not reveal his word so that somehow you have to have some degree, some secret decoder ring, even though we always thought our Dallas rings were that. They're not. No way he revealed it so that it would be understood. If you are literate, you ought to know the basic rules of interpreting any and all language, speech that you possess. The, the way you interpret the scripture is no different than the way you interpret anything communicated. Every parent knows what literal interpretation means when he or she says, you be home by 10 p.m. Really? Now, as a kid, I would say, you mean around 10 Maybe before you catch me, 11? As a parent, what do we really mean? 10. I know that sounds odd to our young adults. Well, there's no way you can be that narrow. Really? God's word is that precise. As we are precise when we want to be. Now, but every child knows that some rules that parents have are only relegated to the place by the fifth time and 30 decibels above deafening does a parent really mean it, right? Stephen, stop that. I said, stop it. I, uh, okay, I get it, mom, you mean it, stop it. God's word is just as precise. When it wants to say something clearly, it says it clearly. 
It doesn't say, well, you, you make up the way you want to have life. It's very clear about that. I'm going to show that today. It says here, I love this one here. Lucy's looking out with Linus says, boy, look at the rain. What if it floods the whole world? And in Southern California and in Jordan today, people thought that it was going to flood and ruin the whole world. You've never seen snow in Jerusalem? Well, we have. It snows there. Uh, it rains. They are flooding now in downtown Amman, Jordan. Downtown is the lowest place of all the great hills around Amman. And right now, at what we call the old uh, Philadelphia Theater from the Roman period, has about four feet of water standing in it, waiting for it to stop raining. She goes on, or... Linus says it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Okay? And what does she, she says? You've taken a great load off my mind. To which Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> sound biblical teaching is the very basis of why we believe what we believe. It's not that we hold the Bible differently than others. It's not that we have a translation that's better, though I think there are some. It's not that we have one with gold edges that makes it more royally holy. I found it interesting at a bookstore one time it had a Bible on the, and on a sticker on the outside, autographed coffee. And I'm thinking, whoa. <laughs> What did God actually, do you know what the first thing God ever wrote was? He wrote the law with his own finger on Mount Sinai. He wanted us to know something, and it was not put as something that would be changeable, but there. As a rule for Israel to live as a nation. The gospel, the greatest message that gives life. I want it whenever we tell people to share it, and I work with Awana. How many work in Awana? We did for 50 years. We did for 50 years. Oh, you did. How many ever worked with Awana? The rest of you, shame on you. It's one of the best ministries for working with children. They try to have a really clear gospel. I knew Art Rohrheim, and I knew his wife, Winnie, and I knew a lot of those people there. They really went out of their way, and if you knew Art in any way, he loved kids. He loved to see them come to the Lord. He loved to see them discipled. He would go to foreign countries and bring the game, game stuff with them so he could engage them and share with them the clear message of God's grace. When I share with those leaders, I tell them, it's wise when you share the gospel to, that gives everlasting life to always remember these three things. And I would say, not that you say these three things, but keep these things in mind. The message, it's always about him, who he is, what he's done, and not about us. It's a focus on him, not about what we promise to do or hope to do or will do. It's about what he, who he is and what he has done. Okay. Second, it needs to be simple enough that a child can understand it. Einstein said one time, if you cannot explain something simply, you do not understand it. And I'm afraid too many people, when they come to the gospel, the message that gives life, have it complicated. Maybe it's for job security. I'm not sure. If that's the case, work yourself out of that job. Get people to understand it because it's simply. 
How young have you seen a child trust Jesus Christ as the one who gives life? How young? Four. Any younger? Yeah. Why? Now, if you got, I remember going up in a little Baptist church and the, the pastor was probably about my size. A little girl <coughs> came up. Her name was Tiffany. She was maybe, maybe five, six. And uh, she came forward and he says, now, Tiffany, and he leaned way over and she goes, yes. He goes, do you know what a bad sinner you are? And she goes, no. And he said to her father, Gary, come over and take the girl. When she understands what a bad sinner she is, then we'll talk. Now, to some jurors, well, that sounds right. No, wait a minute. Do we, any of us under, under, truly understand how sinful we are? I know about you, but, well, I don't know about you, but <laughs> that's another issue. But we don't know. I think people, you've got to confess all your sins. Well, you, we do not have enough time. <laughs> Lord, I'm telling you, we do not have enough time. I have lived two or three lifetimes in my short life. And I'm just to come, I'm coming up on that three score and 10 in just another two months. And it's like, are you kidding me? Simple enough that a child can understand it. You know what, you, know, you ask a child, do you believe that God exists in three persons? You know what their response is? Okay. Now, wait a minute. Do you understand the enormity of the triune Godhead? What? Do you believe God can give you the free gift of everlasting life? Okay. Now, I mean, do you understand the substitutionary, penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ? What? We confuse people more than we help them. And if we want to reach the unreached, we'd better have an assurance of our own and a clarity to share. And the third one is, which most people don't grasp very easily, it's the same message consistently from Genesis to Revelation. It is. Now, I'd have to admit, I am not certain about what kind of life Adam and Eve possessed at creation. I don't know what to call it. Some people call that innocence. Okay. But whatever it was, they couldn't die. Because they lacked it before the fall, and they lacked it afterwards. When Adam and Eve <clears throat> were given the command to <clears throat> subdue the garden and to, to rule the earth, he said, you're not to eat, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but one. And he said, what would happen the day you eat of that tree? What's going to happen to you? Dying, you will die. It's a double negative in the Hebrew. Dying, you will die. Now, he didn't say, when you eat it, you've disobeyed me and you now are a sinner, which they were and we are. But he said, the day you eat of it, you will die. die. So what do we need to remedy that? Life. Who knew? If we have death as ours, the only thing we need, now somebody says, well, I need forgiveness of sin. Good. Keep going. 
What do you ultimately want out of this? Someone said, if, if we started here and when we sinned, we went here and we come back to just as if we'd never sinned. Have you ever heard that definition of justification? Just as if I'd never sinned. You know what God calls that? Self-righteousness. Wow. No, I just want my sins forgiven. Trust me, you don't just want that. What we need is the righteousness of Christ credited to my account. As deep as this goes, we want it to go that way. We want to have life. So we were dead in Adam and Eve. Estranged from God, Paul says in Ephesians, alienated from the life of God. Once we sinned, we put ourselves in a predicament. And that is, we're going to die physically. If we die physically without everlasting life, we would spend an eternity or an everlasting future apart from God. So what we now need is a never-ending, everlasting life that will cancel, cancel out the debt of death. He goes on to tell us here, we go on, that what man has needed since then is not only their sins forgiven. Think of it this way. If someone shot me, nope, I'm not giving anybody any permissions here. Anybody shot me with an arrow through my heart and an hour later they removed the arrow, that which caused my death, they removed it. What do I still remain? D-E-D, <laughs> no. Dead. <laughs> We're dead. So the means which is sin in Adam and Eve caused my death. And they removed that. I still remain dead. God has to then give me something beyond just the removal of sin. Okay. Somebody read Revelation 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So what is the reason anybody is ever cast on a lake of fire? They don't possess, they don't have, their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They don't have life. It doesn't say, you know, you were bad to your mom. Well, hello people. It doesn't say because you did not go to the right church. It didn't say you were born in the wrong century, born in the wrong group. It said, you do not have life, you, d you will be cast on lake of fire. What about all those bad things we did? So, it's not good to do it, hello. But that's not what separates us, death separates us. So what we need is an everlasting life, and it's a great white throne judgment. The lost will be saved, not because of all the bad things they did, though they did and we did as well, but because not possessing this life. That's the key. So from Genesis, it tells us we possess death. From Revelation, we find out that we need this life that comes through that. Now, say it this way. Unbelief is the cause for the unsaved not having everlasting life. Not having everlasting life is the reason they're condemned to the lake of fire. It's because they haven't believed is the reason they're still dead and they don't have life. Okay. At the cross, 
The righteous judgment justice of God was satisfied for all humanity. Jesus Christ is a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. So, for whom did Christ die? It seems to be in a plain understanding of the text. He died not only for our sins, John says in 1 John, but he says for the sins of the whole world. It's hard for me to reinterpret that any other way unless I pull out my handy-dandy pocket scripture changer and say, no, it just means those who he knew would believe. Doesn't say that. Centuries ago, there was a saying that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for all, but efficient only for the elect. Lewis Berry Chafer, one of our heritage, if you will, changed that within his group and said, Jesus Christ's death is sufficient for all, but efficient for those who would believe. The biblical understanding is it is both sufficient and efficient for anyone who places a faith in Christ based on his death and resurrection. Now, how much did an Old Testament saint understand about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection? Not a lot. But they did know some. Remember in Genesis, in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were declared dead, God said to them, he pronounced a curse. He pronounced a curse on the serpent. What was that curse on the serpent? Do you remember? That's right. The serpent has said, you, you may bruise the seed of the, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to what? Crush your head. Okay. Showing there the, what we call that very beginning of that good message. That because of something this seed of the woman would do, they would bring life and diminish death as he goes through it. What we're going to find out is, is the way God is doing things today is the same that he did then. Now, I'm going to show you in a sort of a graphic way. Hopefully, you'll be able to see some of it along the way to show how this is visualized throughout here, just quickly. Okay? I'm going to say this represents eternity. I know you thought it was longer and you thought it was a different color. But for this purpose, we'll just call that eternity, no beginning, no end. We're going to say that the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, and Revelation 13, 8, clearly there for us. We're going to see that Adam and Eve were created with life, and that because of disobedience, we're going to call that sin, they were declared dead just as we talked about earlier. Whatever the means was of death, taking that out does not give you life. Only God can give life. He stinks, we still think that same way. So what he tells us here is that this sin brought death, and the result again is that every human being is estranged from God. This is what he told us here. Now, 
we looked at Revelation chapter 20, and he told us there, because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're cast into there. That's the key to the end of it. Now, the need then has been that we have a need for someone who would bring life. And we see that slowly folded out. If you could take the whole Old Testament, you see it unfolding. In Genesis 3.15, we talked about that. The one who would come to give life would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Chapter 4, verse 1, how do we know it's a person? Because Adam and Eve's firstborn was named what? Cain, thank you. Why did they name him Cain? Literally, it means the one God, the one whom God gave us. This is the one. This is the promised one. This is my seed. This is the one. How did that work out? Not well. Cain was not the one. So we now know that they know it's going to be a person that's going to deliver. We go to Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham is given a promise that a descendant of his is going to bless the whole world. We could go to Genesis 22, it's reiterated. We go to Isaiah 9, and it says, and his name shall be wonderful counselor, mighty God, all those descriptors. Isaiah 11, the same. Then we get to Isaiah 52 and into 53, and what do we see? Remember what I said in Isaiah 9? He's the one that got it. Isaiah 53, it says, wait a minute, the one who's going to come to give us life is going to be, get this, like a lamb. (laughs) I'm sorry, like a lamb. But he's going to lay down his life. When you read Revelation 5, you'll see an interesting occasion there. There's a scroll that needs to be opened there's no one, and, and John and, and weeps that there's no one worthy to open it. All of a sudden, they hear a voice of a lamb. When they turn around, who do they see? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Wow. That's who the Messiah is. That's who the deliverer is. And he's the one that came. And he's the one that is unfolding in the Old Testament. If you read John's gospel, you do not know the, identi- the identity of the one that's being spoken of until you get to verse 17 of chapter 1. It's the Word God, Creator, Life, Light, not John the Baptist, da, 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 da. and finally verse 17, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. They knew the promise. They did not know who, what his name would be. In John's gospel, we finally know His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that came to give us life. So that promise, and now we know, as we see here, that the one who would give everlasting life, John 3.16. You can't get any simpler than John 3.16. I remember attending a conference, an ETS conference, and Good friend of mine, Bruce Einspar. We've been friends for years. And there was a, in the program, it said, this guy, this young man's going to give a presentation on repentance in the gospel of John. So we both said, this is going to be short. Because where is repentance in the gospel of John? Believe me, he found it and it wasn't there. It's kind of like if you add this, subtract that, multiply by this, change this, and hide this, you get repentance. 
But the Gospel of John says there's one requirement. Now, though you may need to repent in order to be ready for it, but the only thing that gives us life in John 3.16 is what? Belief. Faith. Trust. Same word. Don't ever tell somebody, it's not enough to believe, you have to <clears throat> trust. It's the same word. Just because you say it with an, a James Earl Jones way of doing it doesn't make it any more important than the word believe. But people will do that. It's that simple. John 3.16. Then he tells us here, we know that this one is the one that came because of a death and resurrection offers the gift of everlasting life. The apostles believed in him even though they did not understand the death and resurrection. The miracles that he did in the Gospel of John, there are eight of them. Most people see seventh, the eighth one is his own death and resurrection. Who knew? But in that is where it's found. They believed in him as the one who could give life but he only could give life because of his death and resurrection. There was not ever God's plan B. It was God's plan. And we have to be clear. So if we're looking for the remotest part of the world, we're looking for the unreached people. It may be our neighbor. It may be our families. Because until we get this simply and embedded into our very lives with assurance, if you don't know where you're going, you're certainly not going to help somebody else go there too. You've got to keep it straight. At the cross, the righteous justice of God was satisfied for all humanity. He is the promised one. Promised in Genesis. We know his name in the Gospels. We proclaim him in all the rest of God's word. And we stand reading the judgment in Revelation. That the ones who possess everlasting life are not cast in the lake of fire. And we could debate about Gehenna, about Hades, about all those different words. When you come to Revelation 20, it talks about the lake of fire. There's no other term to use than lake of fire. It's an amazing thing for us to grasp. And knowing that he's the one that was given as a sacrifice for sin. All I want to say is, therefore, when a person comes to God through believing in Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ, in his role as mediator, bestows everlasting life on that one who believes in him. Introduces him or her to the Father, and the Father pronounces him or her justified. Jesus Christ's righteousness is then credited to his account. The free gift of everlasting life, salvation, justification, has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, based upon the finished work, Death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Throughout all dispensations, throughout all of time, no one has ever been saved any other way. So if you have never had that assurance, I pray that you do. Because if you want to reach the unreached, you better be able to have been reached. And that's what God wants for us. No matter where our backgrounds are, no matter what our denomination said, no matter what everybody else, because most of us carry the theology that we were introduced to when we first believed. Some of it good, some of it not so good. And our job sometimes is, is to start thinking biblically as we start looking at the world around us. 
In other words, saving faith, believing, is being fully persuaded that based on his finished work, death and resurrection, Jesus Christ delivers from condemnation, guarantees everlasting life to all those who simply believe in him. Can you imagine Nicodemus standing there with Jesus and he goes, for God so loved the world, he gave me to do this. Believe in me, you have everlasting life. And Nicodemus goes, yeah, right. There must be more to this. That's it. If you're expecting an affirmation of your false belief, don't wait. It's not going to come. If you're looking to see what God's word says about it, and when you're talking about the mission field, it may be your own country. Because to somebody else in the world, we're the opposite end of the world. And I've been to lots parts of the world, and I find the need the same. There's only one race, human race. There are many ethnicities. Thank you, Jesus, for the diversity. But there's only one race. We be humans. Isn't that great? I mean, it's amazing. And we come in all shapes, and round is a shape. Don't laugh. (laughs) Don't laugh. Color, texture, languages. And we're about the Lord's business to make it simple. To make it simple enough a child can understand it. To keep it about him, not about us. And finally, knowing that it's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. The message never changed. It's a glorious message. And God has been good to all of us. He's been good to me. And I thank him for that. Concluding principle. Our salvation, past, present, future, is protected by the power of God. If you believed in Jesus Christ for everlasting life, here's a clue. You have everlasting life. Profound, I know. Where does this guy come up with this stuff, huh? We should persevere in our faith and good works, but it's not necessary for us to have everlasting life. Good works, yeah, Ephesians 2.10. Prepared that we should walk in them. But we come by grace through faith alone, Ephesians 2.8.9. Isn't that powerful? I'm excited every time I read that. I'm excited every time I'm reminded of it. And I want people to do the same thing. Let me close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks today for your goodness, your care, your love for us, your simple message of faith alone. Believe alone. Trust alone, same word, Lord, so that we might possess everlasting life. And Lord, we revel in the fact that it is that which will last, wow, forever. Not based upon what I promised to do, not based upon what I ought to do, but based upon your promise. In fact, you've given us your Holy Spirit as an earnest toward that fulfillment. That if you break your word, it's unthinkable. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. The moment we put our faith, trust in you, you indwell us. And you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we thank you. Pray that we rest in that. But that we use that as that would motivate us to move with clarity and simplicity to a world that is confused at best against everything we stand for at worst. 
We look forward to the day we will see you face to face. Until then, give us strength, give us courage to trust you. And once we see you are trustworthy, we will trust you more. And as the writers of the Old Testament reminded the people of Israel, remember, 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 you've always been faithful and you will continue to do so. Pray for this week of meetings and all those that will attend and all of us as we think about those who have not heard or have not responded, all those that are pre-believers, just introduce them to the Savior. We thank you today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.